Welcome to Dangerously Likely, I'm Caleb Smith. And I'm Terrell Couch. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to talk about primetime. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. From the Washington Post, after Uvalde hopes for a quick gun legislation fade, Senate negotiators plead for patience. So the House passed gun control measures, and they have been sitting in the Senate for some time. After Uvalde, there was a quick call for action, and senators have been negotiating what may be the first gun control legislation from the federal government in three decades. But don't hold your breath. There are a few Republicans that are negotiating a gun control bill. That would include minor steps such as adopting red flag laws and screening buyers that are under 21 for juvenile offenses and mental health episodes, more far-reaching policies that Biden supports, like an assault weapons ban, background check expansions, and restrictions on high-capacity ammunition magazines are not currently being discussed. Terrell, do you think there may actually be some type of gun legislation that comes out of this? And if so, do you think it's enough? No, it'll never be enough. Um I do think it's important to highlight the idea of an assault rifle ban is not unheard of. We used to have one as we a country. We did it like, like a decade, like 15 years ago, literally. Yeah. Um, and the conservative majority in Congress decided to allow for that ban to eclipse. And because of that eclipse, we have seen a rise in um, mass shootings. But even beyond that, I do think there is hope in the space Um Senator McConnell tapped um, Senator Cornyn to kind of lead these negotiations because of his close and personal relationship with Senator Murphy. Um, so Senator Cornyn's on the Republican side, Senator Murphy being on the Democratic side. And just today, Senator Murphy met at the White House in the Oval, I do believe, with President Biden to give him a status update of what's coming. So it seems like there are pieces moving and there's shifts happening. Um, I know a lot of people like to pick on Senator Manchin and just his need to always be in the spotlight. But I will say um, there was a, a TikToker who highlighted after Manchin mentioned that he felt different. He has grandchildren to worry about. He had said this previously after the Sandy Hook tragedy. And um, there was a lot of call out saying, well, you've done it before. I ha- I'm not holding my breath. But now on the record, we have Senator Manchin speaking out against or speaking for um, age limits when it comes to purchasing firearms, also saying that assault rifles make no sense to him and that they don't belong on the streets. So we're seeing a change in tide. And also, I think we're seeing a bigger grassroots effort than we've ever seen before um, through social media, through activism just pulling out all the hypocrisies that are coming here. So I do think we're we're running up on probably a, a really hard time when it comes to the Second Amendment and what it means in this country. And we can't ignore the fact that the NRA continues to just kind of turn its nose up to all of these atrocities and ignore the the cry of the electorate where we can highlight and say, it's time that we have some common sense gun reform. By no means is that a call to remove guns from homes or to completely outlaw it. And I'm not leaning one way or the other on that um, stance, but 
for them to have their conference in Houston, Texas, shortly after this mass murder um, of children, just, I think, deepen the difficulties that that organization is having to really make this a, a cultural necessity. I think that my view on this legislation, although I don't think it goes far enough. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't. That's, I think that's more factual than opinion there. Absolutely. But I, uh, uh, I think that, you know, I think that we should hope for something though, because even something like an expanded background check or, or an incentive for states to increase their red flag laws or put those on the books, like those laws, while they might not be the most effective measures that we could take, you know, I'm up for anything that will still save lives. Yeah. And so if it's that right now, great. But we should absolutely be pushing harder because atrocities like we saw in Uvalde, like we saw in Buffalo, and even going further back, you know, like all of these are done by AR-15s and assault style mm-hmm. weapons like that. And it's like when you have the police who were just actually fucking scared to go into the school and left children in there for over an hour because of they know exactly what that fucking weapon will do to you. Yeah. And they're cowards. Like they're, I don't, I mean, absolutely. I don't want to, I don't want to fall into the space, but the fact that we have a police force after all of the bullshit that black and brown bodies have had to put up with from police entities and people saying that blue lives have to matter after all of that to have to hear from this police force that gets over 60% of the city's budget try to blame a teacher and say that they left the door open that's how the shooter got in only to be disproved to find out that they were hindering and stopping parents even arresting parents who were trying to save their children from a murderer while they went in to save their own children it i think this is i'm glad you bring up this point even though i'm very angry about it I think this is the the crux of the issue, right? It's all of those arguments that we've unfortunately had to fight against and, and deal with were thrown in our face after Uvalde. You can't make the argument that arming people around schools is going to fix it because look at those cowards and what they did in this shooting. You can't make an argument that the police need more money or more training because again, look at those cowards and look what they've done. You can no longer argue All of these points that the conservatives have been beating over people's heads for decades, because at the end of the day, what you can say is there was an AR-15 that was in that situation that killed 19 children in minutes. Yeah. And put enough fear in the supposed protectors that they didn't even attempt to help because they knew that if they were to be fired on by an AR-15, they would also die. So when everyone's going to keep making that argument that, well, Guns don't kill people. People kill people. Well, you know what? An AR-15 killed those people. Yes, a person was pulling that trigger, but that gun is not designed to not cause maximum damage. And you no longer have that argument or you can no longer tell me, well, give police more money and it'll fix it because clearly it doesn't. Well, that's like kind of the thing, right? It's just like very cynical and honestly gross cycle that Republicans advocate for. They advocate for 
basically you get whatever gun you want with no um, accountability, uh, no no checkups or anything, background checks, any of that kind of deal to make sure you're like worthy of the gun to make sure you're not going to go fucking shoot up a school, right? But then they also advocate for, for you know increased police funding and police are good and all this stuff about police I, because you know police are supposed to protect us from the fucking gun state that they created. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a, it's a, it's a circle, right? It's a fucking loop of people getting fucking shot up by AR 15 style assault weapons because they were able to buy it and like fucking 1600 rounds of fucking ammo, like all within a day of each other. And it doesn't matter how old you are in half these places. I mean, I guess you have to be 18, but yeah. In some, in some, that's, it's so, oh my God, it's just fucking exhausting. But the biggest thing that I think we need to do is while yes, like if the Senate actually passes something, I hope they do. It's probably not going to be everything that's needed. It actually won't be, but I think we need to keep fighting. We need to keep voting for people who are going to make this an issue and vote the right way. Yeah, we know an assault ban uh, works. We've, Absolutely, we've, we've implemented we've it before. It. Yeah, well, I've lived it, through it. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not the end all be all of policies, but it's definitely part of the solution. And two, I'd be remiss not to highlight um, out of the house representative um, Buyer is starting to rethink this issue. I know a lot of people, I really appreciate you highlighting voting for people who align with you on this issue and recognizing that we do have a role to play here. Um, I mean, off the air, I sent you another TikTok creator who I'm in love with, and she was highlighting calling the Capitol and advocating for and talking about why these common sense policies are necessary. But Representative Bayer, um, has even offered and started suggesting language for a bill that would give a $1,000 surcharge for assault rifles, um, which can be passed through reconciliation, which can completely subvert um, the conservatives who have been the, the only word I can think of right now is demagogues, but who have been this force that has hindered us to progress in a positive way. So I just come back to that. I think, not only is it important to elect those individuals, but it's also relevant and, and significant enough to recognize that I do think the tides have turned to some extent because now even um, representatives and senators are thinking about this differently and are are feeling more conviction to say, you know what, fuck the conservatives at this point. We know how much money you get from the NRA. We know that you have now pigeonholed yourself into all of these culture wars that are doing no good for your constituents. Here are ways that we can we can actually combat that. So maybe there's hope. Yeah, I think there's always there can always be room for hope. But I, you know, all every other country that has suffered from a mass shooting like us have immediately went into action in placed policies that would stop it and it's worked. The only country that doesn't do that is us. Let's check out the international fold. Continuing on our coverage on the Russia-Ukraine war, on Tuesday, Moscow announced seizing roughly 97% of one of the two provinces in Ukraine's Donbass region. As Russian forces claim these victories, um, President Zelensky is vowing to continue fighting to retake the captured areas. 
Globally, the United States is warning 12 countries, mostly in Africa, that Russians are attempting to profit off of this conflict through the, through the selling of stolen grain from Ukraine. Since the start of this invasion, non-governmental agencies have warned the implications of a global famine are more plausible now than they ever were and are continuing to admonish Moscow for their effort to weaponize produce um, to garner support in their illegitimate war. Russia and Ukraine normally supply about 40% of wheat um, needs in Africa, where the prices for grain have risen by 23% in the past year, according to the United Nations. In the Horn of Africa, a devastating drought has left 17 million people hungry, most of, mostly in parts of Somalia, Ethiopia, Kenya, also according to the United Nations. And this has impacted more than 200,000 people in Somalia, putting them on the brink of famine. Meanwhile, in the European Union, leaders have agreed to ban most oil imports um, from Russia, impacting an estimated 90% of their oil imports. This is a major move following objections from Hungary, a country that depends on Russia's resources for about 60% of their oil intake, um, and the bloc as a whole, i.e. the, in, the EU, um, depends on Russia for about 40% of their natural gas. The countries will shop around to make up for the gaps in supply. Um, and this is really important for all the Americans listening because we are feeling the impacts of the COVID-19 crisis that halted a lot of oil production. So buckle up. Circling the globe in under a minute, Queen Elizabeth of the United Kingdom celebrated her platinum jubilee this weekend after 70 years on the throne. And also in the United Kingdom, Prime Minister Boris Johnson survived a vote of no confidence with his conservative party by a range of 211 to 143. Um, this comes after a damning report highlighted Johnson's complete disregard of COVID policies during the shutdown as they hosted parties and gatherings in Downton, on Downington Street, which is where um, the prime minister lives for the country. And we'll be right back. And we're back with Dangerously Likely. So here at Dangerously Likely, we like to update all of you on the biggest and most impactful stories taking place right now. And one of them is the primetime hearings that the January 6th committee has just announced. Oh, I we'll get be- it. Primetime. Dangerously Likely to go primetime. <laughs> yes. Uh, they just announced it. I believe the first one is the day of when this podcast. Yeah, should be Thursday, right? Thursday evening, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. The day this podcast is out. So if you're listening to this in the morning, check in at night on these primetime hearings. So let's start with what the January 6th committee has actually done. First and foremost, the committee's goal is to investigate the January 6th insurrection that happened over a year ago and figure out how exactly it came to be, if there was bad actors in it, and more. This is what they have done since. They've conducted more than 1,000 interviews. They've collected over 100,000 documents. They have already held a public hearing back in July for Capitol Police officers to offer their perspective. They have issued over 99 subpoenas for witness testimony and document production. And for the few who have not complied with the subpoenas, the House has found them in contempt of Congress and are pursuing charges on that. Terrell, 
Before we move on, the committee has spent about a year investigating everything that has happened. It has dealt with several individuals unwilling to comply with subpoenas, including that of Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, who didn't want to comply after already handing over like a thousand text messages from that day, including from Ginny Thomas, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's wife, who urged Meadows to overturn the election. So what do you make so far of this vast investigation? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's not a ton of information out, and we'll we'll go through that but soon. I think that's my issue, right, is there is a ton of information out, right? We now know for a fact that there were meetings held before the event in the White House. Um, representatives like Marjorie Taylor Greene um, were there, uh, Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows. We also know that there was a concerted effort to coordinate with influential people in the conservative party, i.e. Jeannie Thomas, who who was trying to put pressure on Arizona. We also know that there was a whole presentation of what are the possible outlets when the certificates come and a lot of pressure on Mike Pence to be kind of the, the pressure cooker or linchpin, if you will, to really change the dynamics. And when he articulated that he wouldn't, there was a very quick and almost seamless shift to other plans, which we don't fully know. So like, there is a lot of information there, right? Mm -hmm. I think the reason I say I don't know is because... I feel like it hasn't been cohesively tied all together quite yet. And we're going to learn a lot of that in these hearings. And... We as a country have not, like, I don't want to be dramatic here, but I'll argue 47% of Americans will say that it wasn't an attack. They There's this concerted effort by the conservative party right now to make it appear as though this is all being trumped up. This is another Russia scare. This is another yeah. Russian scandal. When... We all sat there. I mean, I I still to this day remember texting you and being like, what the hell is happening? Yeah, I was glued to my TV. It was kind of, it was fucked. And like you and I saying, well, they won't breach the Capitol. Like there's obviously, there has to be a moment that it stops. Like I I can't help but remember that because it's going to be scarred in my mind for the rest of my life. And the first thing I remember saying to you is they're going for the certificates. We've never had a Mm -hmm. situation where we don't have the certificates to validate who won the election. And if they somehow managed to grab those, we are now into a weird gray area that we've never been in our constitution. And me saying this, thinking it was just an assumption and maybe I'm overreading it. I'm being overly dramatic. I've been justified along the way because of this committee. So that's where I'm, I, I struggle because I think there's a lot of people like you and I here who are screaming the, not only is the roof on fire, but the pool's on fire, the cat's on fire, everything around us is on fire. <laughs> and there's a group of people in the pool who are saying, no, it's not on fire. Look, we're swimming in it. And that's that's why I struggle here, because I know that we're going to go into this hearing and Fox News isn't going to show it. Yeah, fuck Fox. Honestly. Or they're going to show it and they're going to use it as an attack on um, Liz Cheney. We're going to watch... And adding his signature a little bit, yeah. But he's getting ready to retire, so he doesn't really matter anymore. Right? I think, I, yeah, I believe he's not rerunning. And 
and you're going to have this concerted effort by Mitch McConnell to say, well, look at how the Democrats are wasting your money. They aren't trying to stop the raising gas prices. Look at how much we're spending on this committee. And I, I'm not going to lie to you. I think that's going to be a winning message for most Americans right now. Yeah. I listen to progressives all the time talk about how President Biden isn't progressive enough or he hasn't done enough and he's been an awful president. It's, I can't process what this means because we as a country have not processed what happened on January 9th. God, we're so bad at processing and shit. And we're acting as if it wasn't an attack on our democracy. We're acting as if a group of people didn't walk through the Capitol through force. We're acting like people didn't die yeah. because of this. We're acting like all of our representatives and senators who go and do their job every day right now were not fearful of their lives. There weren't chants looking for AOC to kill her. There wasn't a person who was in the speaker's actual office who had access to undeniable confidential information like there's just so much in that and that's why i appreciate this podcast so much because we can talk about it but when you actually start diving into it you realize how much muck we're we're just sitting in and yeah i mean they literally went in chanting hang mike pence like and uh, this is just like a, a i think a good point to add is that the department of justice actually is charging a lot of proud boy leadership yes um that just came out this this week um in the insurrection at the Capitol, they were uh, very much the kind of people like one of them was the one that got into the Capitol, like, th like through like a freaking brick or something at the window to get in in the first place. And like, like these people went into this already with the idea that we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I think that like, this kind of goes on to my like next point a little bit about what the task among the January 6th committee in these hearings is quite large, right? You have to convince a nation that you? the facts matter. Do you? Enough people to vote. Do you care about voters right now? What, what do you mean by that? So I also saw an interesting piece on this as well that highlighted... Expand. <laughs> that highlighted Joe Biden is... Anticipating to briefly watch some of the proceedings, mm -hmm. but it will not take up the bulk of his day. He, I think his press secretary came out and said he's going to be more focused on um, some foreign policy procedures and things that they're getting ready to roll out. Anyway. Yeah. And which makes sense to me. The article highlighted. Yeah, we don't care about the president. And to be completely frank and honest, this article said we don't care about the people. The person who we really care about, if they are or are not watching, is our current attorney general, Merrick Garland. Mm. Because okay. based on the evidence that comes out from this conversation, which I'm assuming he already has to some extent, it's going to be on the Department of Justice to determine if there are actual legal charges that need to be brought up. If there is a reason to yep. further pursue contempt charges against Mark Meadows yes. for not releasing information. So, I mean, I agree with you, right? Like, yes, it, it is important that we break this worst era of human history. And we all recognize like, yes, the, we can all agree that is a fact. The Capitol was attacked, but apparently we can't. But I do question, should that panel be looking at this as how do we get every American to care about us? Or should this be pinpointed at how do we ensure that Merrick Garland has all of the facts he needs 
to finally push him over that hump and start launching either more in-depth investigations or actually levy some charges that he might already be sitting on. Yeah, yeah. And I I think it's important to highlight exactly what we'll probably expect from the hearings. So like throughout this investigation, like we have like heard several things about what the committee has found, but also um, what really their goal was to accomplish here. So like, first of all, um, they're looking for the Trump administration's role in the execution of the insurrection and in trying to overturn the election in general. They're looking for the se- like why there was a several hour gap that existed before the National Guard was called in to protect the Capitol building, uh, whether or not some lawmakers gave tours to insurrectionists of the Capitol the day before. And lastly, we're looking at you, Marjorie Taylor. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And lastly, whether or not there were violations of campaign finance laws in the funding of events to promote the overturning of the election. And what comes to mind immediately is Ted Cruz trying to campaign off the insurrection literally that day. Yeah. he t- Didn't he tweet right after they yes. got back in session? Yes. That he was going to stand up it was and him object. And a couple others. Him and I, Josh Howell. Howie. Howie. Yeah. Howie. Yeah. Those. Honestly, I'm not apologizing. Fuck you. I don't care about getting your name right. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's uh, profit off the fall of democracy. Um, but here's the, here's the thing is like, while we have seen a lot of leaks, the Mark Meadows text messages, um, the, the gap in the White House call logs mm-hmm. um, on that day and whatnot. Most of what the committee actually knows has been kept pretty private. Yeah. Know? Like, like, you know, um, on top of the couple of things that I just mentioned, like we also know that there was an executive order, drafted executive order, it was never issued, that would have directed the National Guard to seize 2020 election ballot boxes. And so, like, we as a public, if anyone is following this, has, like, we've had trickles of information. Mm -hmm. But how it comes together and, like, we've had, like, teasers from some of the committee that, like, Trump was in it way more than previously known and stuff. Like, we won't know how that all ties together. We don't really know how damning it is. Look, I expect it to be pretty damning. I'll be real. But what does that mean for the Justice Department? Um I think it just kind of goes to show that there's just a ton of moving pieces here. And you're right. What is your audience with these hearings? I think I'm going to push back a little bit because yes, the audience definitely is the justice department, Merrick Garland. And that's going to be an interesting one because, you know, Merrick Garland's going to have a choice. Is he going to prosecute the guy who's probably going to be his boss's running, um, uh, Enemy, I guess. Running. Uh, uh, opponent. Opponent, yes. And, and Yeah, and I mean, that's always been my argument against anything happening to Donald Trump. He's a former president. Yeah. Former presidents don't get prosecuted because that is an effacement to democracy. Yeah, and but I will say that I really do think that that the committee does have a role to play in trying to persuade the public in general and voters in general. I do think it does. Like... Because their job really is to relay, this is what happened to our democracy, whether you're watching it or not. And like, whether they persuade or not, I think, I mean, obviously the American people have the right to know what happened. And I think that's very important. But let me play conservative here. (laughs) My favorite role. (laughs) I, I get, I understand what you're saying, but these people were peacefully protesting. They were allowed to come into the Capitol and it, you're going to throw that you're going to throw that conservative but, argument but, at me right but now. But hear me out. They were allowed to 
come into the Capitol and the Democrats are just overplaying their hand and they think this is so bad, blah, 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 blah. But even beyond that, wouldn't you as an American also be outraged by the thought that Joe Biden was about to take office, that he was going to tell you that you had to have an abortion, that you couldn't have guns. He was going <laughs> to lock down the country. Like, but like, this is a real thing, right? This I is what mean, we're probably going to hear. So, I mean, we literally have video of people breaking into the Capitol, not just getting let in. But when that's the counter narrative that you're playing, is it on the committee to have to step in and and recreate reality for a pocket of people who have already abandoned it? Because you have to own that these people also during January 6th, while they might have clutched their pearls or felt taken aback that America had fallen into such disregard because the white folk were finally doing something that they considered egregious. They also were coming from a space of, I am fearful of Joe Biden being president because he's going to be a tyrant. He's going to be a dictator. I do feel like I'm losing my country. So how does a committee step in and one, correct a narrative from a year ago, over a year ago now, and then also show the reality? Like, how do you do both of those? I think that like, thanks for giving me a headache. <laughs> um, I think that like the committee, like I said, I that's why I think the committee has a large task ahead of it because it needs to convince, I think, several different people of what it has done. Yeah. And like, what's going to happen is like, it, it has to be a presentation on facts and it will. And then it's just like a detective with an investigation when you watch investigation shows, like you find the facts and then the facts together make their own narrative of what happened. And that's what's going to happen. But how are they going to present it? I think that's the biggest thing is like, I think you and me, we expect some pretty big stuff that maybe we haven't heard from, heard about before, but how are they going to present it? And what does it mean for a democracy? Because like whether people want to dismiss it or think it's a partisan hack kind of deal or whatnot. This committee, I think inevitably investigating one of the largest attacks on our democracy ever in our history is going to go down in history. And we just don't know what that's going to look like after the next couple of weeks. And I think too important to highlight for listeners, because I love to play the contrary. And as everyone knows, <laughs> um, this is a real thing to be cognizant of uh, MP NBC did a poll recently um, to kind of track where Americans are feeling Trump's responsibility was for the attack. And we're seeing a across the board, a decline in um, viewed responsibility for Donald Trump, specifically with Republicans. And this is why I highlight them that were only at 11% back in um, January, 2021. And they've now dropped to nine. So that's where I, I feel for the committee, I almost the production value of we want every American watching this. I feel like that's a foregone thought at this point. I it's mean, the same reason I argue against uh, Joe Biden's approval ratings because you have what maybe nine percent of Republicans that actually believe he was justifiably elected to his role. So of course his poll numbers are going to be shit because a whole pocket of people don't care. Yeah. So how do you? How do you ignore that, but also don't come off as, yes, we're just playing this up for Democrats? Because I know for a fact that will be the talking point that we hear from It'll Mitch be, McConnell, Ted Cruz, insert any Republican running for um, office. Well, that's the problem, though, is it will be the talking point no matter how 
damning the evidence is, no matter how well that they narrated this, uh, this, this presentation of facts, there's always going to be Republicans dismissing it. And I honestly think that like, it should be like, obviously Democrats have to go out and they have to push the message. They have to say, look, these are the facts that were found and we're going to have to respond accordingly to this. We're going to have to hold some people accountable. I don't know what that looks like yet. I don't know how Democrats are going to react. Obviously there's a lot that's on them, but I will say something that's going to piss me off so much about this is the fucking media. And I'm not talking about Fox news because you know what? They'll try to twist some shit, but they're not even fucking showing it to their viewers. We are the media. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Well, I'm going to be very, I'm going to be very upset to watch like CNN, for example, actually entertain some of these stupid fucking Republican talking points because everything has to be both sides. And if the committee does a good job of presenting facts, there's not really both sides to facts. They've conducted literally a thousand fucking interviews. Kellyanne Conway would like to have a word. There are such things as alternative facts. And how dare you speak ill (laughs) on her name? I, I just, the, the overwhelming amount of, of documents and witnesses that they have been able to, and information from all that, that they have been able to collect. Like this isn't, this isn't a narrative from the democratic party. Um, this is going to be a presentation of facts, whether you like the narrative or not. Yeah. So you should watch it with an open mind. And you should also note that there's a couple Republicans on the committee too, that are interested in protecting democracy. There are two. I said couple. I know, but I'm just, there are two. And the two Repub- out of what? Like eight? Come and the on. Republican party has already removed them from their respective state parties. Like, do they matter yes, anymore? But those, but those two Republicans still have quite conservative and Republican beliefs that like, you know, if you're someone who somehow listens to this podcast and you're, you lean on the conservative side, like, like this isn't a partisan hack opportunity for Democrats. This is, representing facts um, that they've gained from an investigation on an attack from our democracy. Like we should all watch this. And, and I I think we should watch it outright more than watch analysis of it because that's going to suck. But yeah, that's kind of what my point is, I guess. I I do think we can't ignore the elephant in the room, right? Is how do we, obviously I'm switching back to my normal person, but how do we make sure this doesn't end up like the Mueller report? Because yeah, well, the I've, Mueller report was interesting because the Mueller report didn't really like it, it highlighted damning information, but then kind of failed on finishing it up. I thought fair, and but I, also and I think, but but that's, but that's completely what, ruined how it was rolled out. But oh, absolutely, but I think a lot of media organizations attach themselves to the idea that oh, it actually doesn't indict anyone, so it's fine. Except it talks about how machines were actually tampered with anyway exact exactly uh, no but that's my point yes, exactly i know i'm a wonk in this space and it, it it's very frustrating to me but i will say the democrats did when they got power under the trump administration try to use the Mueller report to highlight here are the pieces that the american people should care about and he wasn't impeached twice so like yeah yeah we can't ignore that there is a huge elephant in the room that the democrats have been in this space multiple times now whether it just be in the House or mm-hmm. Chuck Schumer, even though he was minority leader at the time in the Senate, be well, he was actually majority leader during his second impeachment. That is a big elephant that I, I again, it's a good segue. Want to push and say I, I don't know if they should 
buy into this message, they need to talk to the American public because I do think that the American public are now a foregone, foregone thought. That's a good segue because honestly, um, we should talk about what the result of these hearings might be mm-hmm. and what the hearing or what the committee can actually do. Uh, it's worth noting, I think, that the January 6th committee itself is not an actual law enforcement kind of deal. Um, the thing that what the law enforcement arm of, of this would be the Justice Department. Yep. Uh, it will probably hand its evidence over to the Justice Department. And like from there, we'll just have to see what that department does. I have no idea what's going to happen. And I don't, again, like we don't know what's going to come out of these hearings yet. I'm sure we'll talk about it in a week or two, but um, you're right. I think that like something that's interesting now is like the justice department has actually already taken some evidence from the January 6th committee for its own needs. And while we don't know what Merrick Garland is going to decide to do, depending on what the evidence is like there has been some accountability pursued of the insurrectionists of uh, what's his name, Peter Navarro, the trade guy in the Trump administration. Yeah. There has been some accountability with some of these people. I don't know if that means Trump specifically. We just haven't heard what's going to happen yet, but you know, the difference here is that we're actually working with, a justice department that might be a lot more competent in taking up some of this evidence, but we just don't know. What what are your thoughts about that? Honestly, I think you said it best at the end. We are working with a justice department that is more competent and I do, but, and won't ignore the evidence. Yes. But I do say that with a, an air of grievance because another elephant we can't ignore Merrick Garland is supposed to be on the Supreme Court. He's not supposed to be an attorney making arguments to the Supreme Court. And his understanding of the Constitution and legality, and this is, now I'm going to pretend to be a a tried and true Bernie bro progressive. (laughs) His understanding of the Constitution and legality can sometimes run in the face of what the American people are anticipating and wanting. We want the big indictment. We want to have the full out argument in court because it feels right. Accountability is necessary for this country to, to grow and move forward. Yeah. However, I, like you said, we're working with a very competent department of justice that understands it better than I, I would argue any department of justice ever has. I don't think there is another attorney who understands the implications of actions better than Merrick Garland does. So I I come back to what I said right after the January 6th and um, impeachment trials of we live in a country where you can't indict the former president. It's just, yeah. Nixon. Wouldn't it be a shock and a twist if like that actually happened? Nixon. He should have been indicted. All of the evidence was there. He resigned before he could be impeached, which is how he escaped accountability, and the American public let him live, for better or for worse. You you can't prop up all of these pieces of what a good democracy looks like, of not jelling your political rivals or not coming after them, and then do the same in this country, even when you should. So I do feel for Merrick Garland in the space, because I know he's looking at this from a constitutional aspect and recognizing that yeah, probably there will be enough evidence to say we should move forward with Donald J. Trump and a potential indictment. That'd be crazy. However, the implications that would have on the Biden administration, the implications that that would have on our country would be 
damaging and crippling. And it's just the maybe it conundrum. would, but I don't know. Actually, I'm just kind of just spitballing now. Maybe it would be damaging, but maybe it's what's needed. Oh, I agree. I also think there's two Supreme Court justices who deserve to be impeached right now. But nice. That's just not reality <laughs> that we live in. Well, you know, I think that uh, takes us to the end of this segment. We're going to have to see what happens. And don't worry, listeners. We'll have all the tea for you as they happen. Are we doing a live stream of the hearings? I don't know if we'll do a live stream, but we'll definitely talk about we'll it on our podcast. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> and we'll be right back. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerously likely at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes and even drop a couple likes and ratings for us. Um, how about you take us on a tangent, Caleb? Okay, I didn't know what to do for a tangent today. There's two things that crossed my mind today, so I'll just go through them both. Ooh, do I get two then? If you want. Cool. Mine are going to be pretty quick. First of all, inflation. Yeah, it fucking sucks. Don't get me wrong. Gas is terrible. Food is terrible. Rent going up is terrible. We're feeling the fucking impacts of it. But I just have to say, like, we have such a nature to blame people that are in power, like like Joe Biden. And obviously, like, that's I think that's pretty healthy. I think you should blame people, especially when they're enacting policies. But, you know, I read a fucking tweet today. Understand, yeah, the, understand the policies before you blame people. That's it, my only caveat. Exactly. And the fact of the matter is, is that Joe Biden's policies aren't the ones that are causing inflation as much as you think they are. And I saw a tweet today from fucking Senator Tomass Cotton. Hate fucking <laughs> Tom Cotton. Oh, my God. Who said, who oh, literally f- tweeted like, like, oh, like, you're three to or your two to three dollar uh, gallon at the gas going to five to seven is by design because the Biden administration is implementing policies to make this happen. They want you to suffer. Incorrect. Which is just the wackest shit I have ever heard because we've just been in a pandemic where supply chains have greatly affected every fucking industry. We also slowed our export of or our um, drilling of oil during the pandemic, which is impacting us. Yeah, because no one was fucking driving. Correct. And... And, you know, Russia attacking Ukraine really fucking puts a hamper on energy. Everything. Europe needs energy that they're not taking from Russia anymore for good reason. And I'm glad they're doing it. But it's definitely going to it's going to be on us a little bit as America, who has this reserve, who has these great natural resources across its land to make up for that for our allies. That's how the world works. And like, but also Republican Party, don't show your ass when you voted against a bill that would have punished oil companies for raising prices and gouging us, literally all of you. So yeah, it's important to know who's on our side and who isn't. And it fucking certainly isn't the Republican party. But you know, my last point on this is that just be fucking glad. And I know I am, and I understand that it hurts and, and you know, I don't know, I don't understand every situation, but, but you know, where you place the blame shouldn't be Joe Biden. We don't want to be in Europe right now. If you're in Denmark or fucking Germany, your price of gas is eight or nine to ten dollars a gallon. It's not five like it is where we live. It's not uh, uh, seven 
Is it five now? I thought it was still 480. It's like four or something. I don't know. I'm just rounding. Yeah, I'm just okay. spitballing. I know there's some places that are like seven and it's getting to those levels, but it's not. Uh, our policies, obviously, there's just so much to it. And we need to probably, we need to push oil on oil companies more. But it's like, I guess my frustration is this isn't, maybe, maybe in this capitalistic society, maybe it's by design in some way from oil companies. It certainly isn't from Joe fucking Biden. So lay off. Okay. And then my other one is going to be like two sentences. Elon Musk doesn't want to buy Twitter and he's coming up with all the excuses he can that he thinks are a home running court. And that's just going to not work for him. It's funny. You mentioned that actually, this is my tangent, but I just want to jump on it for two seconds. There was a TikTok, um, per usual. Yeah. Your resident TikTok on the pod. Um, that was a nice rhyme. Anyway, um, that highlighted, I don't know if you saw this, but recently Elon Musk announced that he's going to need to get rid of about 10% of Tesla's workforce. And he announced that on like, let's say a Wednesday of last week. And by Friday of that same week, he made it mandatory that you had to work in office. If you did not, that would be a sign that you no longer want to work for the company. And this TikToker, who I wish I could so, remember their name. So fucking toned. Um, this TikToker walked through the reason Elon Musk would do something like that is because he's he said very openly that he believes that the U.S. is getting ready for an economic downturn. And if he were to fire that many people, 10%, there are certain laws that he has to then subscribe to and buy into that would cost the company far more than just them leaving. Um, or them being fired to some extent. So, or them being fired for cause, like you can't just lay them off, but if you can fire them for cause, then there you go. Um, so I do think it's fascinating that, and we had this back and forth on Twitter. I genuinely think that Elon Musk thought he had more money than he did. And I do think, yeah, you said that and I don't, I'm going to push back in a second. I know. I do think (laughs) that it's, I do think that his wealth and all, a lot of our billionaires and trillionaires that exist now, their wealth is inimaginable. And for him to have made the move that he tried to make in buying Twitter at such an elevated value showed that to a lot of banks of, oh, we have to pull and do these things on top of interest rates going up. Like, I do think Elon Musk just made a really stupid decision and didn't realize he was about to make a stupid decision. Well, Musk likes to talk the big talk. He likes to do shit. And then he's like, oh, I want to back out of it. That's why he's been fined by the SEC a couple of times and whatnot. That's why he hates government because he has to follow rules. And like the issue with Musk is like, first of all, when he announced the deal, it actually wasn't a premium on Twitter's price. Twitter had been more only a few months prior than what he was offering, which is about $54 a share yeah, or $44 billion in total. I think Musk does at the capital. Is it imaginary? Well, I think it depends on how you think about stocks and wealth accumulated through that. Because yeah, technically in a few days or a few weeks, a lot of that wealth can be wiped out. Yeah. But if he took it out right now, he'd have that wealth. So it's just kind of what you think it is. I, I think he has the capital to buy it. I just don't think he wants to. Yeah, There's enough people. And this is the thing too, is a lot of a lot of people are throwing on this $1 billion like get out of the contract thing that either party can can make happen. That's not really what that means. Yeah, no. It's a billion dollars but it's still a binding contract. So there's a lot so you, of liable that you have to deal with. Yeah. And you actually have to, to get out of a contract like this, you actually have to prove in court, which is very hard to prove, almost never happens, 
that that the other party was like kind of wronging you so bad in this contract and that's just not the case with this twitter contract but twitter can make that argument elon musk can't well musk has to if he doesn't want to buy it he has to and it's funny because twitter's also like holding him to the gun when twitter also doesn't want him to buy them but they did put an explicit part into his they put a very explicit part into that contract that he was not allowed to go on these tangents that he's been going on um yeah. That could impact the the sell of Twitter and can impact its stocks, which he ignored like the week after. Yeah. So it is kind of funny that you bring that up because Twitter probably has an exit strategy if they want to take it. Well, Twitter's exit strategy would not be suing Elon Musk when he tries to break from it. That's the exit strategy. Well, if he doesn't break from it and they're just like, you know what, we don't want it. we don't want him. That's what I'm saying. I see, I think they do. I think they'll sue the shit out of him if he'll try to get out. I think they want him to buy it. I think they want to hold him to it because right now, Elon Musk, two months ago when he offered the deal, it wasn't a premium. Now it is. But they swallowed the death pill to try to stop him. Just to get by time. That's different. I don't know if it was just to buy time, but that's where we might. They would have never agreed if they didn't want this to happen. Now they're in a binding contract. I don't think it's Twitter that doesn't want to get out of it. I think it's Elon. But you have to remember how public this was. And it became very hard for them to then explain to their shareholders why they are not taking a deal that would obviously profit them. Like That's the only thing a company has to do. And their shareholders are like, no, take the deal. That's why they said yes. Yeah. But I do think the people in the boardroom, maybe I should clarify. I think the people in the boardroom are like, no, we don't want this. Let yeah, him collapse. They'll have to put that out to a vote to shareholders if yes, they wanted to get away from exactly. it. Exactly. That's what I yeah. that's what I'm yeah. You're okay, you're saying the board is different. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I'm separating the two. Yeah. Well you can't, because the board has to act on the shareholders' behalf. I know. I hate <laughs> corporations. Also, shout out to the TikTok creator, um, attorney Ryan. He's amazing. If you get a chance, go follow him. He has a really great deep dive into some of the political movements of corporations in this country. Take us on a tangent, Terrell. I'll make mine quick because I stole a lot of yours. Um, <laughs> and I feel bad. Mine was longer than it was supposed to be. And I'll take a, I'll take a breath here to say that what I'm about to dive into deserves a trigger warning. Um, it has a lot packed into it. But I'm just so tired of listening to all of the pieces, especially as a sexual assault survivor. It is frustrating. So if you couldn't pick up from that piece, I do want to very lightly dive into the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case and just really push against America to own the fact that you don't need a hero villain story and everything. You can have both parties be bad, be villains. And that's not for me to say that one side is worse than the other, but I will say that the now overt attempt to completely decimate Johnny Depp's character following a a verdict that was more favorable towards him is proof that she did successfully defame him. And that's what this case was centered around in the first place. It was centered around the fact that when Johnny Depp and Amber Heard were married, some things happen. We don't fully know what happened. We hear pieces and bits of it, but some things happen. When they got divorced, Amber Heard made a point to jump on the Me Too movement and make arguments that Johnny Depp, without saying his name explicitly, not only emotionally and sexually, 
uh, or emotionally and sexually abused her. What's important to that context is before that op-ed went out, that opinion went out, there was an agreement in their divorce that he would give her $7 million to never talk about any of this again. Um, uh, $500,000 had to be paid to the ACLU. The other $500,000 had to be paid to a um, domestic violence uh, nonprofit, which she did none of that. And again, I'm not trying to pick sides here and I'm trying to tread very lightly. Um, yeah. You fast forward to the op-ed coming out. You see Johnny Depp lose out on a lot of different pieces and you see this rise of Amber Heard. And then you get to the trials that we watched that I do think were, I don't think it was planned this way, but they have been used as a distraction from all the other things that are happening in our lives right now. And the reason I get so frustrated is as a male the Me Too movement never seemed like it fit for me. As a person who's been sexually assaulted twice, the Me Too movement seemed exclusionary to men as if we could not also be survivors of such actions. We can only be the perpetrator. And that's putting a lot on this organization. And I, I just fully take the criticism that I might get for that saying that out loud. Um, but what I'm seeing after the Johnny Depp hearing is that it's, well, we assumed that Amber Heard might lose, but we didn't think it would be this bad. We need to reaffirm the statement that because he won this case, it's going to be the worst thing to ever happen to a survivor, the worst thing to ever feel. And I just want to say, as a person who is a survivor, hearing Amber Heard say, go on, Johnny, tell the world, see how many people believe that you, a man, were beaten by a woman Actually, when that case was impactful, and was important for me to feel. Um, because when I first told someone I was sexually assaulted, no one believed me. Those are the pieces that are being missed and left out of this trial. And again, I'm not trying to say that I'm completely on his side, because I do think he did some very heinous and awful things to her, whether it be in retaliation or he started it. Um, but I also believe that she did wrong, too. And I, I hate the fact that all of our news streams are now trying to pick sides and prop her up. Well, you know, I also want to tread lightly because I, in reality, I don't want to touch this with a 10 foot pole, but you know, the, the sheer volume of just like this fucking toxic ass, like all of Twitter for a second was like, Oh, Johnny Depp is so great. Uh, to like a toxic extent of like yeah, Amber Heard's absolutely. a terrible person, like very sexist and misogynistic, you know, gross shit that I, wasn't into at all um but then ironically when the verdict came out you know from the jury who probably had the most information out of all of us mm-hmm. um they made the decision that johnny depp would be awarded a lot more than amber heard would in a defamation lawsuit this isn't a domestic violence lawsuit this Correct. is defamation that's why Just i want to make this clear <laughs> and that's why i highlight that context at the onset and and it was just striking how all of a sudden it was like the airways were flooded with all these opinion pieces in like the New York Times, the Washington Post, and all these prestigious news organizations about how the Me Too movement is now over because of this result. Yep. How women are always going to be treated like this in society because of this result. And I just don't know if either one of them are the truth. But then again, I will sit here and admittedly say that I didn't follow this trial the whole time. I didn't sit there and watch it. I haven't read a lot of stuff about it. I just felt like 
it, to me, at the end of the day, it felt like this trial had no reason to be publicized. That's what it felt like to me. Because I just feel like anytime I look at something, it's exhausting to look at. Because I don't know if anyone is actually right about this. I don't know if it's going to have that effect on me too. Like all of a sudden, all these opinion writers uh, believe it is. Yeah. And But I certainly don't want to be on the side of all the fucking toxic masculinity going on over Johnny Depp either. Um, you know, it was clear from the evidence that I did hear that both of them did some pretty fucking shitty things to each other. Yep. And, you know, this is a defamation lawsuit. This isn't domestic violence lawsuit. Um, that happened in the UK. And like, I just don't really need to, I don't need to think about these two anymore, you know? Yep. And I don't, but that's a, my point is that it's don't know if we as a society needed to think about these two in the first place. We didn't. I don't, like, I just don't think it has these broad implications. I mean, we'll wait and see, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I just yeah. doesn't seem like this is something that needs to have these broad implications and watching everybody make it that it had to be is just so, I don't know. It's just a lot. Yeah. And I mean, now people are trying to blame Johnny Depp for Car- Carl Rittenhouse coming out and saying he's going to sue CNN for everything they're worth. And it's like, one, he was talking about a defamation shoot, a defamation suit the day after um, he got his non-guilty conviction to Ted Cruz already said he was going to pay for his logo fees. If he went for MSNBC and CNN, like to ignore that is just to be disrespectful. (laughs) But even beyond that, it was a defamation suit. And I think what's important to know about that is for famous people, um, defamation is a lot harder to prove and the fact that johnny depp one is a little bit of a shock to people which is fair if yeah rittenhouse were to go and do this he is not famous enough to meet that category all he has to do is prove that um some news station said some heinous things about him that weren't based in fact like it's a pretty easy open to shut case Granted, I mean, they never said anything about him that wasn't completely based in fact. So he's probably going to lose that case regardless. And this is me just giving my I wanted to be a lawyer advice. But that's that's also just very hard to prove. So it is kind of I think it is notable that Johnny Depp won more than Amber Heard did. Yes. I don't know. Look, could I be wrong on everything I said? Maybe I would be very interested in in your thoughts to the audience here and any of your thoughts on this trial. If you dare to touch that shit on me (laughs) no i think everything you said is spot on it was it's ironic that the last podcast that we did when this trial was at its peak was our escapism podcast because i do think that's what this trial became everyone was feeling the pressures of rising inflation we had an um the baby formula shortage um Uvalde had just happened. Also, Buffalo had just happened. Like, there was so much. And for all my sports lovers out there, basketball was kind of on some breaks. Baseball or baseball is in the early stages. So people are like kind of watching, but aren't really paying that much attention. Stanley Cup was met. Like, there wasn't anything that you could use as an escape and then you had social media outlets like twitter like tiktok that were live streaming the entire case because they recognized that enough people cared about it they would watch it it would give them more subscribers yeah and then one of them fucking got ruined by the internet because it turned into like the 
turning point of our entire civilized fucking nation. And I'm like, no, yeah. stop. So like, I, <laughs> I agree with everything you said. I think it, I do think it was something that we didn't have to care about and no one should have cared about. But Johnny Depp is a person who, for I think those generations that get impacted by TikTok and Twitter specifically, played a role in their life. He's their Jack Sparrow. You had people showing up to the car, to the courthouse dressed up as Jack Sparrow. So there became this sense of escapism. I hate, I hate that. Like, yeah, that's just so inappropriate. I don't know. But you had this sense of people using this trial to escape the actual realities that we were all stuck in, but also feeling like they were supporting their childhood. And that's a hard space to not get trapped in, right? So, yeah, I don't think anyone need to watch it. I'm frustrated with how much I paid attention to it, honestly. But at the same time... I can't pretend like I don't understand why so many people paid attention to it and how oh, social media, yeah, yeah, how social absolutely. media appropriately took advantage of that moment. No, I, I absolutely agree. You know, it's interesting to like reading like someone like one of these opinion pieces tweets about it or like someone who's obviously being kind of fucking stupid, but in favor of Johnny Depp on Twitter, you know, tweet something and all the, all the comments and replies are like people who have, there's, so, I can't tell you the countless people who have survived some kind of sexual assault or domestic violence and are on Johnny's side or on Amber's side. It's just something that like, I don't know if we'll ever know exactly everything that went, that went on between these two. I really don't, despite it being enormously publicized. And, you know, the fact that even people who have been through, I don't want to say similar, but experiences in that realm uh, can't agree on what happened. I just don't think this is the that end all be all of an entire movement, or that end all be all, or a turning point of our of our whole culture um, that some of like a lot of people are claiming. You know, I it's I just I just hate that it was part of the airwaves like that. You know, it no, nothing felt like actually smart about it. You know what I mean? I agree. Anyways, I kind of took over some of yours. I think that's fair. <laughs> Uh, that's our show thank you for listening as always and uh, I'm Caleb Smith and I'm Troy Couch and we're dangerously likely to see you next week